0: Welcome to 100 PM, the show where we interview 100 active product managers from startup to enterprise and everything in between, all from one great city every season. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com. That's the number 100 product managers. Com. It's the web's fastest growing resource for product management topics. We've got tons of great articles about business, technology and design, fabulous contributors and the official must read, listen to follow list as recommended by our incredible guests week over week. It's season one. We're here in Los Angeles. I'm your host, Susanna Bate, resident instructor at General Assembly and founder of The Development Factory. Welcome and thanks for listening. Welcome back to the show, everyone. We're here in episode 26. Our guest today is Nacho Andrade, principal product manager for ADP's Innovation Center in Pasadena. We're going to learn all about what innovation means to a company that... Well, historically, hasn't been known for innovation. Thanks for joining. All right. Why don't we get started? Tell us who you are. What's your name? What's your role? Who are you?
1: <laughs> International man of mystery. Uh, no, so my name is Nacho, as you know. Um, Nacho is, in fact, my real name. It's a nickname for Ignacio, uh, just like the nickname for Robert is Bob. So it is, in fact, a real name, in case it <laughs> was concerned. Also, it's uh, another important fact to know is that the food is named after the person, not the other way around. Is that true? It's absolutely true. Nacho and I invented them.
0: <laughs> 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 they're,
1: they're, they were nachos especiales, so that is why... Uh, The food uh, uh, came in with the name. So at least if you learn nothing else, you'll learn that. Yeah, interview over. (laughs) So uh, that's the name. I am Principal Product Manager here at ADP. I've been here for almost three years. Um, I am working in our innovation lab, uh, trying to help establish products, uh, processes, um, ideas, and basically evangelize for innovation and product here.
0: What what is a principal product manager?
1: Yeah, so principal product manager is a completely made up term. <laughs> it's a position that I made. Um, basically, uh, my role focuses. So I, I have no development teams. First time in years, I haven't had a development team. Um, so my team are the product managers. So um, I work with the product people. I do individual coaching. I work on um, sort of as a one man product center of excellence. I help uh, produce processes and. Um, supporting documents we follow and help help develop the team and develop the product. And uh, I work across the organization to help spur innovation and the correct way of thinking um, sort of across ADP.
0: Now, ADP, I mean, maybe for our listeners' benefit, I'm sure people know ADP or they've seen the logo on their pay stub. What is ADP briefly, but how then is ADP Innovation Center, which is what you're a part of? How are they different?
1: Right. So ADP has been around for so over sixty years. Um, I mean, the reason why pay statements look the way they do is because of ADP. Right. We've been around for a very long time, um, but we cover the whole uh, payroll world, right, from your moment of hire till you retire. And so um, ADP's focus is definitely payroll first, um, but the innovation lab is here um, to help. Start off or kick off um, a lot of new things that can happen in the space so um, you know adp pays so many people we do so much work we can leverage um, our position our data our um, products um, in ways uh, that we haven't considered before so the innovation lab is one of two innovation labs that we've started to uh, focus on those long-term goals um, as well as um, help adp become a leader uh, in the software space um, for our market, for the B two B market.
0: Well, wow. so, and maybe this is me being judgmental, but I'm looking at you. You got a Star Trek T-shirt on. <laughs> you got a cool blazer. You don't seem like when I think ADP, you don't seem like that guy. That's ex- it just feels like it's outside of what you would typically be doing.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: So, I'm being judgmental, but I, <laughs> it's, I'm accurate. Judgmental, but accu-
1: accurately judgmental. That's right. So. Okay. Um, yeah, my, my career started out of high school, basically um, knocking on doors and telling people their website sucked. Um, uh, turned that into a design agency, taught myself how to code design, um, and really kicked off my career from there.
0: Wait, um, did you not know how to design and code before no. you told people their site sucked? No, not really. So no. you were just I, like, I can't Photoshop. do it better, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it can be better.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was It was so bad. Like I can do better than that, and we did. I mean, it turned into a whole design agency at one point. Um, ADP specifically was almost an accident. I was actually working for Cario in Irvine, um, doing uh, practice management software, so um, working with billers. Um, so at the time, ADP had a competitive product, Advanced MD, and they called me for a position in healthcare. I'm like, oh, great, competitive intel. So I took the job interview, uh, hoping to get some competitive intel on in Advanced MD. Um, turns out, first round, they're like. You know, no thanks, we don't want to hire you right now. You don't have a college degree, but thanks for trying. Nope, no skin off my, uh, my teeth. Uh, two weeks later, I get a call from the VP of the Innovation Lab here and he says, hey Nacho, that thing about not hiring you, that was a huge mistake. Can we have you come back in and work here? Um, so the interview process was really interesting. I remember coming in and meeting with one of the GMs and she said, why do you work for ADP? And I said, I don't. <laughs> I said, you know, your product It's clear. You don't care about your customers. Um, you know, you're failing to invest in the right areas. And they said, well, that's why we want you here, right? We want you here to help build up our culture, to help us invest in right areas. And so um, sort of accidentally stumbled upon um, one of the greatest opportunities around.
0: And so ADP Innovation Lab is specifically for innovating ADP products.
1: That's exactly how right. How many
0: products are in sort of the ADP ecosphere?
1: There are probably hundreds of products in the ADP world. It's, it's hard to realize how big ADP is. We have 60,000 employees worldwide um, we have at least three payroll products. Each of those payroll products have ancillary products. Um, we actually have the number one business app on the App Store. Which most people don't realize. The ADP app is the number one But <laughs> is that
0: like just by necessity app. because of so many customers?
1: Yeah, exactly right. They're looking up their payroll, they're punching in their time, wow. they're doing the work we have to. But yeah, I mean we we have products everywhere and people don't don't know that.
0: You, you, I want to go back to your story for just a minute because, you know, you talked about being out of high school and telling people their website sucked and then sort of reverse engineering a way to solve that problem in the form yeah. of a design agency. Where did you kind of go from there? I mean, fill in the rest of the, of yeah. the journey a little bit. for yeah. us.
1: Yeah. So I was always wanting to go into fine art. Um, actually in high school and my school had a really great program, I'd follow artists around um, for a while um, and it became clear that you really can't make a very good living in fine art. It's like professional sports, right? <laughs> Unless you're the best of the best, it's, it's going to be really hard to do very right. well. And so um, that drove me to uh, use my creativity in a different way so I was knocking the doors because I could draw better logos, right? I could draw better websites, so I did it. Um, And then um, from there, you know, went to various other jobs, um, worked for a lot of other small startups. Um, But what I've realized uh, as I've tried different positions or worked for different companies is although it wasn't called product manager at the time, um, that was what really fit fit me very well, uh, partly because I have severe ADHD (laughs) and I can't focus on one thing, Um, I have this huge creative side that needs feeding and I have this huge analytical side that needs feeding. And there's very few... Roles that bring those two things together. So, um, but so along my journey, right? So, the startup uh, agency, digital design agency. Um, from there, jumped to various startups. Uh, did a lot of great work there. Um, had a lot of fun. Stock market crashed. Right, the bubble popped. Um, had to find more work. Started my second business um, um, in the software space. Back when cell phones were uh, 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 small candy bar devices, um, and then. Uh, you know, from there went into the gaming space um, and consulted um, for iPhone games and created different iPhone games. Um, all throughout um, sort of taking product jobs, different business to business jobs and you know, going through I found out if I you know, feed my creative side too much I love it but I get bored. Right? So that was one of the things the agency did very well but I had to sell it because um, it just wasn't challenging enough. right? Um, and then in my second business, I taught myself to code. I did a lot of PHP, front-end work, learn CSS for real for the first time, which was great. Um, but then I'm not feeding some of the, the creative side too. Um, and so, yeah, product just ended up being the place where you could bring those two worlds together.
0: It's balance.
1: It's balance. It's balance and it's also attention. I think I would get fired in any other job because I'd be a bad designer because I'd get too distracted in the analytical side or I'd be bad, right, project manager because I want to solve on the creative side. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's funny. We talk a lot about on this show, the challenge of product management being that it cuts across so many disciplines, but we, we don't talk as often about how that can be a bit of a blessing. It's kind of one of the only roles that you can justifiably get away with being not great. It's like, well, I can do wireframes and I'm not the best at them because don't we have a whole UX department for that? And then everyone says, oh yeah, yeah, that's fair. Mm -hmm. That's to be expected. You just do the best you can. That's exactly right. You know, you brought up the the bubble crashing and I can't help, but I know you're not, you know, the industry predictor of things, but I sense you have opinions about a lot of things. It seems like I was at WeWork yesterday and, you know, my impression was like I was walking through and I was like, oh, this is a lot of Kool-Aid has been had here. It's like 20 startups per floor, everyone working that kind of quintessential dream That, you know, the two startup founders and then they're going to sell the company to Facebook for two billion. Yeah. And that's a very different kind of dream and experience than, I mean, how many people here in this office?
1: Yeah, almost 300 people. Right.
0: Like very different sort of application. I mean, being that you've come from the startup space and you're not in that space really, truly. Right. What are your thoughts about the next bubble crashing? Is there going to be a, a, a separating of the wheat from the shop? I mean, that happens in market, but yeah. just as a as a path to pursue.
1: Yeah, I think you're seeing that everywhere in the market now. Um, you yeah, had to back up for a minute. So I grew up in San Jose. Um, my grandfather still lives there. He's in Palo Alto, like a block over from Zuckerberg. Like I actually check into Zuckerberg's house when I visit <laughs> on Facebook. Um, and so it, it's really funny because every time I go back to the Bay Area, I almost can't stand the mentality there because um, you find you find all these young people who are like, uh, "I'm going to start this new startup," and yeah, right. Me and my friend are going to work in our garage and and we're going to make millions of dollars. When um, the fact of the matter is, um, especially working with so many growth company startups and starting my own businesses several times, um, you realize that dream is faded. Um, that the idea of of Starting something, you know, selling it to a Warner Brothers, right? Like, or you know, if you're AOL or if you're whatever, uh, doesn't happen anymore. Um, if you look at First Round, they do a really great article about the state of startups, and they talk about how investors have kind of figured out the game, right? They they have more control than they used to before, um, so they'll inject themselves in um, and and force your vision to change, um, or you'll see people that um, that start up and they want to solve a problem, but the problem is bigger than two people now, right? We've kind of taken a lot of those easy ideas, taken the low hanging fruit and solved a lot of those problems. Um, So I think the next big opportunity is in the business to business space, is in the larger markets. It's gonna require, and it's gonna require different skill sets too. It's gonna require people to be able to work across bigger teams, um, to care more about um, the diversity of teams, to worry more about um, incubating those ideas in in more meaningful ways. Uh, It's one thing to say, uh, you know, I wanna start up uh, pets.com and make everything available online to sell my pet products. It's another thing to say I'm going to fix these complicated tax issues, right for large organizations. And in many ways, it's a more meaningful problem to solve um, because the other one is sort of easy, if you will, um, where these are taking real complex problems that are actually fundamentally affecting our world and and solving those for people. So, if you think about, you know, we have this dichotomy of our our personal life and our work life, and our personal life. We surround ourselves with products that are fun, right? Do we use you know Tinder to hook up, or uh, you know Jobber to find the next job, or whatever? You know, I, don't, I should not lose the ER vowels anymore. But um, the, uh, uh, the we have this sort of curated space in which we work, and then work almost by definition is horrible, right? But when we can transform that work, the software you work with, to make it meaningful, to make it valuable, um, to make it so that work um, is less of a grind and more. Uh, creative and engages more of you. um, we think it will fundamentally transform the way people do uh, what they do today. So b two b, I think is that space to to capitalize.
0: I, I like that you talk about not just that the problems are bigger, although I think that's a really important observation, but this idea of of team structure and size, because, you know another another thing I think that comes up a lot for for me, for our audience is, it's difficult to know the product manager role when the complexion of that role changes so drastically from place to place, not just sort of from, you know, corporate environment to cool culture, not just from sort of enterprise to startup, but am I, the product manager is the CEO, the product manager, and I'm just sort of, bearing the title, but doing more project management, tactical work. Do I need a second product manager? When do you go from one person to a team? How is it structured here? I mean, if you're the principal product manager, what, what does that look like in terms of how the product teams spread out?
1: Yeah. So organizationally, um, the principal role sits aside. Um, I get to kind of work across with all the teams and projects and uh, dig in wherever things are necessary. Think of it more as a, as a product coach or an innovation uh, coach. Um, but each team is set up on an outcome. Um, so um, if we have a, a tax team, they're built to solve tax problems, right? And then we um, assemble whatever staff we need necessary to solve that problem. And sometimes that's three teams, right? A development team that might solve. Uh, one, one slice of the problem, another team might solve the other slice of the problem. And so, yeah, we have to have them sitting together. Uh, we have to have an organizational structure where they can communicate. We have to be really clear about roles and responsibilities, and we have to support them. Um, I think a lot of the work that I do here is defining our roles and um, defining what you do and don't do. Um, because, again, both large organization or small organization, there's that ambiguity of is that my job or is that product marketing's job or you know is that the designer's job? Um, And I think as product managers, we fall into this trap of wanting to solve all the problems too, right? We are, a lot of us entrepreneurs at heart, and we just want the product to ship. And if I can design something out the door, I will, um, that we fail to reflect or have um, sort of clarity. So um, a lot of my job is actually defining those roles and making it clear um, so that there's some kind of standard on what you do or don't do. And that's both internally to help Product managers know what they can do and what skills they should learn, but externally, what should the business expect? What should designers expect? What should other people expect from their product managers? And what should they not expect, Um, right? Um, So we make it really clear, right? Like uh, one of the examples I use is product managers are gonna be really good at helping solve customer problems, not very good at setting dates, right? Um, You ask us to, to come up with the right answer, but if we have to push a date to solve a customer problem and we think it's gonna be better, I think product managers will push the date all day long, right, it's a different role so you want somebody else to really be that taskmaster.
0: Right. What what skills do you think? I, I have students come to me all the time with this, right? They, they leave the product management course, you know. We've flown over this incredibly complex discipline at 40,000 feet, and then they want to know practical things. I can't blame them for that. Yep. It's like, I got all this great concept, now I need practical... But I mean, let's say I wanted to come here and work with you and, and be part of the Innovation Center as a product manager. Mm-hmm. What do I fundamentally have to be able to do skills wise, in your opinion, to be an eligible candidate?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And for ADP specifically, because we're a large organization. So unlike startups where you can pick and choose, I'm going to hire this guy from you know, Netflix and pay him a ton of money. Um, Because you only have two or three of them, you can kind of cherry-pick, right? Um, We need to help everybody, Uh, and so we have to kind of be experts at teasing out talent. Um, In fact, um, we have some job postings we're going to start experimenting with that aren't product job postings, to find product managers um, that ask for those specific skills. Um, So to get back to the question, I think as a baseline, there are skills I can teach when you come into my organization, and there are skills that I can't teach. So the things that I expect you to have that I can't teach are passion, Right, I expect you have a passion, usually described as an unquenchable passion for uh, for product design for something. Um, one of the first questions I ask in an interview is, you know, what products are you telling your friends about right now? And it's not about what apps you use or what software it is. It's it's about the shoes or the guitar or whatever. Everyone has some passion, and, and I want to know that you you follow your passions. Um, the other thing that you're going to have is sort of um, taste. It's a hard it's it's a hard thing to quantify, but you know what good looks like, right? You've, you're aware of things that have happened in the market. I think some of it just feeds into that passion. Um, but you have um, sort of a sense of what ideal looks like. I think we're all sort of idealists at heart and I can't I can't teach you that. Um, and then the last one, um, the last skill I can't teach but I really, really value is grit. Um, so as a product manager, um, you know, you know, you're going to get punched in the face a hundred times throughout <laughs> the life cycle of your product, right? Um, things Sounds are amazing. Happen. Yeah, exactly. It's going to, I mean, things are going to happen all the time, right? And so the ability to overcome those challenges and to move on, um, the ability to adapt and to be flexible um, are one of the things that I can't teach. So those are the primary things I look for as far as baseline skills for product management.
0: You you gave me a super cool tour, and I have to say uh, I was really impressed you all were going for the look of innovation and then I think it was achieved. (laughs) It's like open spaces, everyone's like, you know, real time UX is happening, whiteboards (laughs) everywhere. Um, Maybe what I wanted to ask is why come and work here? I mean, not you, you sort of explained a little bit why why it felt like it was the next stage of your journey, but if you're looking for product managers, even through sort of surreptitious means... How do you convince people to come and work at a company like ADP which to be candid it's not like it doesn't have the cachet of working at Google for example.
1: Yes. That is that is, a challenge? That is putting it politely and that is that is that is our biggest challenge, right? right. Is is getting the Google talent without the Google name. Right. Uh, right? And so a big focus that we have here is so you know we talked a little bit about um career development. So um, ADP, because we have some people, we, we put people on a path where they can be here for a while. right So your startup career path is going to be two years, you're going to move on to something else, two years you're going to move on to something else. Here we expect people to stay for life and we move them to different projects, different teams. So there's there's that to start out with. Um, the other thing is ADP is sitting on um, sort of a gold mine of opportunity. You know, when I work for a startup, I remember constantly fighting with our shareholders about what the right thing to do was or what we had to do for the IPO, whether it was best for their customers or not. And here we don't have those same pressures. ADP is already making a lot of money. We're already leader in the market. We don't have to prove ourselves anymore. So what we get to do is say, you know, here's a runway, here's a problem, here's money. Go solve that problem. So in a way, we have more freedom than any startup does. Um, I can tell you when I started here, um, I started a fairly simple project of sort of bringing our, our portal, you can tell us a bad idea because we already call it portal, <laughs> but up to, uh, up to more modern standards. And the first nine months were a complete failure. I, I said we're not releasing this product, we had to say no. And where startups would have to you know, rethink their strategy, ADP says we're going to double down. We're going to hire better people, we're going to give you more time, and we're going to make it happen. And you won't find that happening in the startup space. Um, the other big thing is um, we pay one in six of every American at any point in time. There's 30 million people that get paid um, every week. And so if you think about the, the life cycle of a single person, um, chances are we pay even more people, right? That's just a slice in time. Um, we also do your taxes. We also do uh, a lot of other services. So we have this, this data that Facebook and Google would kill for, right? Um, and so we have this opportunity to begin leveraging that data, uh, but not only to create fun, fun products that you would normally think of in the startup space, but to actually transform the industry. So if you were to start a startup today and say, I want to change the way people get hired, like Indeed, right? It's a very close to what Indeed is trying to do. They only have limited influence what they can do. ADP can say, hey, we can create technology and we can influence our partners or through our software and influence, you know, convert the way people get hired. Um, and so beyond the data and influence um, and partnerships that we have, um, we will be able to do um, more to make a real difference in people's lives, uh, and I think almost any startup can today.
0: Well, it sounds also too like you know, what we're talking about is opportunities and threats. And we've seen no shortage of big companies come crumbling down because they squandered, the opportunity that they did have that you just described, right? They had resources, they had runway and they had customers. All they needed to do was start caring about the things that the rest of the world has started to care about, like design, That's right. right? It's like, it wasn't that many years ago that people who cared about design were just a tiny percentage of the population. And now even if you don't consider yourself to be a designer or to sort of be design oriented, you still have a spidey sense, I think, for this yeah. feels good. This doesn't feel good. You might not be able to articulate it, <laughs> right. but so, you know, I guess good that, that here we are not talking about how ADP could have.
1: <laughs> no, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. Um, yeah. Very few companies have been able to have the self-awareness or the moment to say, let's make this happen. So I mean, I described that failure. Many companies won't have that opportunity. Um, I remember even when I was starting here, it was actually really funny because I'm like, I don't know if I want to work for ADP. The same concerns we just talked about. Uh, I actually had the chief product officer for ADP call me and say, "Hey, like this is real." Um, So I think you've seen a lot of these other organizations. Like, um, uh, like if you think about Blockbuster, right? There in an summer opportunity back in the day um, when they had the opportunity to buy Netflix. Um, If you look at Blockbuster. Um, They had people that worked there that knew the change was coming, right? They had staff that knew what was happening, but the executives had their blinders on or they they had different priorities. I think in ADP situation, the executives know what's happening and they are the ones that are dedicated to the change. This isn't a grassroots effort that's getting squashed by executives, right? This is happening at the top and at the bottom. So we have grassroots people like me that are kind of pushing and climbing and trying to change the organization from the bottom, but the executives from the top guiding and pointing, that's the way we should go and putting their full support behind that change. So, I think ADP is uniquely positioned um, to to make change happen within an organization that hasn't happened before. Actually tell product managers to start here, start writing notes now for your book, uh, because this is what the future of innovation will be. It will be fewer, um, you know, two people in a garage start solving something to going into a large organization and developing those people, right? It's, I I can go into, uh, when I started here, My first three months in, my uh, VP asked me, he said, what would you do if this was your business? I said, that's easy. I'd rent the office across the way. I'd hire 12 people, and I'd solve your problems in 12 months. And he said, well, you're not thinking big enough. That's how you would solve this problem. But we're changing an organization. We're changing a culture, right? It's not about taking those cherry-picked people and helping them solve a problem. It's how do you change the way ADP does its work? And that's the bigger mission. That's what we're focused on doing.
0: It's interesting. I I, I did some work with the, the city of Los Angeles and in some ways their story is a nice little parallel to what I'm hearing from ADP, which is, you know, for people who don't know listening, you know, the city of Los Angeles in particular is very committed to bringing sort of innovation kind of through its teams. and really wanting to change a lot about what they put out how they go about putting it out and there are really really bright people and interesting things going on but same it's sort of mired in government everything's slow and we did a panel we talked about exactly this there's a perception it's a bit of a privileged perception those of us who come from startup we have this this arrogance that, like you said, give me twelve months and twelve people, and I can solve you problems. You guys yeah. are a bunch of idiots. Yep. Well, you know, you run a, an organization with sixty thousand people. I'm not great at math, but I imagine there's a lot of zeros at the end of the p l. <laughs> right. You know that's a huge company. Yeah. there's got to be some credit to the fact that the problems are complex the problems are not just simply waiting on a couple of flashy guys from silicon valley to like throw a sas product at it and be like see
1: yeah i mean we have to play the long game right so we talked about personal development um you know one of the things you notice when you go to startups like when i go back and, and visit my grandfather and barry and walk around and meet people um is is you almost see the same homogenous startup everywhere right it's the two white guys <laughs> you know maybe the one brown guy right. <laughs> you know they get together and they start their company and then you know it's, it's 12 months later 2 years later it's now sex white guys and and you know maybe the one girl who's who's uh answering the phones <laughs> or, or doing social uh, or the the, the, the uh, uh, uh social media marketing me. right it's no the truth true. but it's destroying <laughs> it's true right and, and if you walk around here You'll see, we have women, right? I mean, we have probably 50% women in our product team. We have women developers, we have all the different shades of brown. Um, and I think, I think what we're, we're tapping on is that startup game works, but it's a short game play, right? I think this is the long game where, um, again, you're only gonna come up with so many solutions when you have two white guys solving a problem, right? Versus a team of people that has diversity. And they're not all top tier talent. That's fine, right? Um, they're not all male, they're not all developers, but because they bring that diversity, because they bring their shared experiences, we can come up with solutions that they won't come up with, right? right? Um, we have a perspective um, that is unique to theirs. Um, one of the things I think, you know, we naturally sell ourselves on our own product. We, we, we fall in love with our ideas, right? And so, especially um, in that echo chamber where you have um, too many of the homogenous teams, the same kind of makeup, You're going to come up with the same kinds of answers to those problems um, where we really have um, a perspective that includes way more voices Um, the other thing that i think about the long game is that because we're investing in those people and we're investing in that diversity and that talent is that as these people develop and as we work through these processes we're going to come out the other end in a lot better shape right than a lot of these small companies are um, because we all have brought Um, sort of the whole zoo with us, right? The whole world comes with us, it's not just for a privileged few or a few other people. Um, Actually, one of the things I started here, um, partly based on that that sick of the echo chamber mentality um, and our tendency to fall in love with ideas, as a little phrase we call, your ideas suck. Okay. Um, and you'll actually see this. We actually made it into a sticker. It's on. Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> They're
0: right here on the desk, people. <laughs> they look good.
1: They look good. We'll, yeah, we'll give you a couple. They're good for bad parkers, too, if you stick them on the keyholes. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the goal of that mentality is to say, the, the thing that kills startups is the same thing that kills your product idea, too, which is you're not getting it validated by a customer soon enough, right? And so we have a tendency to fall in love with these ideas. And so your idea suck is really a way to say, don't fall in love with your idea, test your idea, right? Come up with your ideas. And when I'm coaching my product people, I tell them sit down in a room and come up with 20 ideas and then know why you said no to 17 of them, right? Take three of them and prototype um, and then get those in front of a customer as fast as possible. So everything we do here is really focused on getting to that customer validation, as soon as possible. And that's what Your Idea Suck is really all about. All
0: right. What are some practical ways, we talk a lot about validated learning, and you know, when, when you are a startup and you're in the early days, you can kind of take the Steve Blank playbook and hit the streets, get out of the building, kind of talk to people. But when you are working at this scale, when you do have to get feedback. Can you share with us some practical things you all do to get validation on prototypes? Or yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think our testing is probably as diverse as anybody else's. So we do Starbucks testing like everybody else. We'll take a prototype sometimes and run out to Starbucks and test it.
0: A paper prototype. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Paper prototypes and vision prototypes, right, whatever that is. Um, and we'll get them tested. Um, Is that
0: like, can I buy you this latte and then quickly show you That's exactly right.
1: That's exactly right. And it works out really well in some cases, right? Um, I can tell you, for example, for the product that I'm working on, um, my vision is that a new user can understand what to do in three seconds or less. Well, they're not going to understand taxes in three seconds or less, right? But they need to understand what the next step is. And someone buying their coffee at Starbucks should be able to test that out pretty easily. Um, But in other cases, um, you know, we're doing a very complex report. Well, we're not going to go to Starbucks and get any meaningful feedback there, right? Um, And so we do a lot of um, actual remote testing as well. So Starbucks uh, works great for those purposes, but there's no uh, uh, replacement for either a remote session or actually visiting with your client, um, sharing prototypes. Um, And what I tell my product managers is you're not asking them what they think. I don't care what they think. I care if they can do the job right? So you test them through the process, see if they can accomplish the task. Um, and then and then find out what they think after, you know, do more of the soft testing later. Right. Did that answer the practicals? Yeah, testing? no, no.
0: <laughs> I, I, absolutely. And I think it is an important point to emphasize is there is a time for kind of um, qualitative insights and anecdotes, right? Sometimes a, a quick anecdote can be an important part of a persona, for example, just mm-hmm. that sound bite or that sentiment, but then, yeah, I mean, what I'm really trying, we're talking about sort of key results, right? If you say, it's funny, the guy with self-proclaimed ADHD also wants a <laughs> tool that can quickly move me through in three seconds or less. But if that's the key result that we're measuring, then the task scenario has to be crafted in a way where it's, can the user get from A to B and can that time, in that time frame?
1: Yep, that's exactly right. And I think, I think a lot of us get tripped up um, and a lot of us, I mean, product managers get tripped up in these KPIs uh, because we build KPIs and metrics that will hopefully come to a certain outcome or tell a certain story. But for those of us that have been in the field for a while, you start to learn that those KPIs can be as much a weapon as they can be a tool for showing what's happening. Right? If you measure your KPIs wrong, sometimes you release a feature and you realize, oh, it's going the wrong direction, <laughs> right? Or it's indicating something different. Um, and so it's, it's exactly right, it's, it's, that experience is what teaches you based on the outcome that I want. What, is, what are the data points? What are the tests? What are the things that I'm really looking for? Um, because it's sometimes as much as, uh, it's as much ignoring some of the data you're getting as leaning into other things you're getting. Um, I like to tell people that um, you know, when you learn about statistics, you, you, you follow you know, the average, the norms. But those outliers have a story too, right? You need to understand when you're bringing those outliers and when those have value to the the thing you're building.
0: Do your customers know what's going on here? (laughs) <laughs>
1: By the way, <laughs> so our customers are beginning to know what is going on. Is that here.
0: part of your job? To yeah, spread so, the good word? That's
1: right. So, uh, almost every week, we have a client visiting here in the Innovation Lab. Um, we walk them around our offices and let them see our diverse group of people actually working <laughs> in, a, in an innovative space. Um, we talk to them about our mission, um, and we talk to them about the values, and we talk to them about the new ways we do things. I actually had a really big client here earlier. Uh, we're showing them a bunch of our slides and, and your idea sucks slide. They actually ask, hey, can we can we share that here? Can you send us <laughs> a copy of that? Uh, because we want to share that too. Um, so you know, we bring people here for a couple of reasons. One, um, you know, we want them to understand the changes happening here. Um in fact, in my latest release, we actually released a video that showed shots of the office and showed people doing their work for that very uh, specific reason. Um but the other reason um, you know we do a lot of this is because Uh, We're in shared places, right? A lot of these organizations are going through similar problems, right? They are the blockbusters or whatever of their world, right? And so um, we can we can share some struggles and we can um, align on that future vision. When we sell them on the "your ideas suck" mentality or talk about how we do innovation, and that resonates with them, um, they're going to take actions that will follow that same path as well, right? And so. Um, we we as much learn from those clients um, as we try to teach them as well
0: speaking of teaching we do a segment here on the show called get the job learn the job love the job and it's you know in service of our listeners who are thinking about making the plunge into product management may already sort of be newly in the role and are kind of looking around going am I doing this right And frankly, those of us who are in senior positions, I think sometimes look around and go, am I doing this right? (laughs) Um, So let me take you through it. First, uh, get the job. What advice can you offer to somebody who wants to get into product management but maybe doesn't have that product manager title yet. So they, you know, just graduated maybe from a general assembly course. Maybe they've been, you know, doing kind of their own guerrilla learning plan at home. But they, like you, they they have passion, they're creative, they think product is the right (laughs) space. Yeah. But they can't sell that they actually can do it.
1: Yeah, and I think you're touching on one of the biggest problems that faces the product market today. To be honest, right? There's, there's probably really talented product people out there that are just stumbling on the opportunity but they can't find the positions. And a lot of that is actually technolo- technological, right? They, if you don't have a product manager in your resume, you don't get through the screen that then gets you to the interview. So I mean, touching on that, first it's get involved in the network, right? Go to the meetups, meet the people, find out who, who inspires you and follow them, reach out to them, connect to them, Um, build build your product network so that people know who you are and what you're doing. Um, I think the second thing that I like to tell a lot of new people um, when they're trying to break into the space is do something, build a product. You know, you're passionate about something, scratch that itch, right? Um, Get some friends um, and and bring them into work on your project. I can tell you um, one of the biggest challenges and one of the biggest strengths of being a product manager is leading by influence. Um, And, and, you know, people will complain to me, you know, but people won't do what I say. If you can't influence them, are they doing the right thing? Are you doing the right thing, right? So it's almost a blessing in that we have to, uh, by influence, get people to do things. So if you're going to start a passion project to make a guitar tuner app, I'm going to convince a developer to work for me for free. That's your first leading by influence project, is finding that person, um, you know, convincing them why it's worth their time, (laughs) why it's worth their sacrifice and working on that small chunk. Right. So, yeah, the next biggest thing is do something.
0: Although I think the folks at Guitar Tuna really nailed that one.
1: <laughs> yeah, they did really kill it. They did really. So, kill it. Maybe not that problem. there's a lot problem. of
0: guitar tuner apps in my life and then that <laughs> one came along. Shout out to Guitar Tuna, the sponsor of today's show. no, no <laughs> they're not our sponsor. Um, no, and and that speaks I lo- that speaks also to I mean, they say this as well in for investors, right? When you talk about getting seed money, and I think it's the same kind of concept. Who have you been able to convince to come along with you for the ride, right? right. If you haven't done anything else, do you have an advisory board of a couple legit people who have said, I'll give you some of my time and, and network because I think what you're doing is, is interesting and I think that you're credible and, mm-hmm. and worth buying into? So yeah, I mean, half of it is about influence. And that is such an integral part of the role anyway. I mean, we, again, it comes up a lot, but that you have to be influencing so many people who are usually smarter than you and more senior than you to do what you want. Like start early, like build that up.
1: Well, and the other half of that too, is once you've done that project, now you have something to talk about in the interview, right? Here's what I learned. Here's where I hit my head against the wall. Uh, right. And so, um, it's both things, right? You've, you've shown the path. And now you you can talk about, like, no, in my experience, here's what I did learn, and here's what I didn't learn.
0: Well, so you're an innovative guy, and this is another stumbling block that a lot of people come to me about. I'm curious about your opinion on this. What about getting in the door in the first place so the roadblocks i'm hearing now is there's resume scanners and readers and so if i try to design my resume a certain way it gets kicked out of the system if i end up in a stack of paper i mean it's always been the problem right how do you sort of stand out in the stack of paper that's practical advice for the interview what's practical advice for i mean aside from searching on linkedin nacho And then <laughs> writing you and saying, I heard you're season. <laughs> yeah, They are hiring, so actually do that. But how do you get known, like right. stand out?
1: Yeah, so obviously networking is a big thing. So like we talked about before, going to the meetups, listening to the podcasts, co- commenting, right? Just being part of the community I think is huge. And then that second part, yeah, is, is I mean, I, I can tell you I've got... 40 different versions of my resume, right? I got the resume that I actually give out that's the real resume. And then when you're applying for that job, you have a resume to apply for that job. Because sometimes, I mean, we, we all live in the same world. Sometimes you have to game the 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 robo screener um, to get through the door. Um, but I can tell you, you know, product manager to product manager, I think our roles are more open to listening to outside voices than some other ones. Like if you're getting into finance, it's a little bit harder to make a personal connection and get into finance. With product, you can make a personal connection and get in a lot easier, I think. Um, because we're all curious by nature. Uh, we love passion. And we're fired up by other people's passion, right? We feed off each other. And so when you get into those networks, ha- ask people, right? How can I learn from you? What recommendation do you have? What, how can I get better? Um, you know, I'm actively mentoring a few product managers now. Um, and so oftentimes it is that network. Just reach out to people, make the connections, make friends. Learn from people, and you'll be surprised. Um, I can't tell you how many people I talk to now, and I'm just shuffling them off to other organizations. Oh, I'm not happy where I'm at right now. What have you been hearing in the grapevine? Oh, hey, there's this really cool company in, you know, passing into this thing. Have you heard about them yet? Oh, no. And you connect them, and they, they can make that entryway. So, right. Beyond networking, <laughs> I think that's your biggest.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's true. I, I, I get a lot of product people, senior product people who come to me and say, do you know anyone? I'm like, I know a lot of people, you know, I'm sort of in between, I guess, the, the funnel on both sides. But it yeah. always reminds me that when you think about like problem solution, right, there's always another side to the problem that you're experiencing. Right. And if the problem you're experiencing is you need a job. well there is somebody on the other end of that job opportunity that is desperate for the right person. Yep. So it's like, how do you crack that?
1: Yep, and we're the opposite side of that too, right? So as much as we, we want to find good talent, attract good talent, um, people aren't looking at ADP as that sexy company. And so... Yet. Uh, Yet, yeah, that is precisely right. <laughs> and so what do we do um, to bring those people and to let people know about the opportunity that we have here at ADP? And so part of that is this, like we're actually reaching out. We actually host events here as well yeah we're gonna do one yeah we'll have uh, we'll have something up on the stage here it'll be amazing um so yeah i mean a a lot of this is going to be um you know staying connected and 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 reaching out i mean look you're a product person you're if 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 you're not going to take the next step to do something dramatic nobody else will right and so if you want to get that job um at a local software company somewhere reach out to that person on twitter and send a direct message right (laughs) or send that email like if someone's gonna be bold, it's you. So go be bold and, and reach out.
0: What about the hard stuff? I mean, all of that is is well and good and and inspirational on the inside. Then, <laughs> when do when do people fall down in this role that you've seen or, or that you have done?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. I think, um, you know, the the biggest problem we all face is is getting over our own biases. Um, so, I, I mentioned that first because we talked about passion earlier, something you can't build in. But there are things that, there are skills that are foundational that you need to learn. Um, one of those is listening. Active listening is one of the most important things a product manager can know by far. I can't tell you how many interviews I sit in and they'll ask me a question and I don't hear feedback. Oh, did that answer your question? Or, you know what I mean? Like they've gone through this long diatribe and we don't know where we ended up from where we started. Um, so listening is is, is huge, uh, but along with that is a self awareness, right? Where am I strong? Where am I weak? Um, I think those are foundational. Once you have those foundational things, then you're looking at yeah, what are what are leaders in my space doing, right? You follow Marty Kagan and you get the books. Um, you know, you, you you belong to the communities. You ask for advice. Um, I think what enough not enough what product people do is actually look at um, lessons from the marketplace. So I work in a tax product, right? Super boring, super specific. But we're still doing the same work as everybody else. Um, we still have tasks that need to get done, right? We still have users that need to get added to the system. We still have buy decisions even if they're not buying anything. These are all common practices. And so um, we need to look out at other products and go, okay, why did Spotify do it that way? Why did Netflix do it that way? Um, Find out who those influencers are, and then find out what those influencers do. Um, I can tell you that's where my reading list starts, right? Um, And so I I think practically, if you can get that listening and self-awareness, and then you just start following your passion and start learning from these other groups, you're going to find a rabbit hole that will give you those hard skills, um, the books, and almost a curriculum that will help move you to the next level.
0: What about just your favorite thing about being in product?
1: (laughs) So, my favorite thing about being in product is saying no, without <laughs> saying no. <laughs> so, this is a skill, um, if you've been in product for a while, you know, right, um, uh, you know, you're in a meeting with a great stakeholder, you know, the, the, sometimes the CEO of the company, sometimes a large client, and they have a very strong opinion that what needs to be done. And my favorite thing is to be able to say, is to be able to listen and then pivot that into what the vision, we've already sort of come up with this. And, Again, it's working on the assumption the vision is correct. But um, the idea is that you know, when you have, you, you can listen to somebody say, reflect that back. Did I hear that correctly? Oh, okay, so if I understand this lines up to our vision this way, is that right? Oh, if it lines up, then don't you think that, right? There's a, there's a very logical path um, you can take people down. And I think it's almost more of a teaching ability than it is a negotiation tactic, right? Um, it's, it's listening, making sure they know that they're heard reflecting it back, and then uh, being able to line them up on the vision that's there.
0: Yeah, I think if, if it doesn't work out for you here at ADP, you could start a career as a couples counselor, by the way, with all that active <laughs> listening. That's a big thing that comes up in couples counseling, right? Because actually, though, it is phenomenal... You know, because our brain, the synapses fire and then you say something and I've already filtered it through all of my insecurities, all of my other assumptions, all of my irritation or whatever thing I'm feeling. It's like I've distorted so badly the thing that I heard just now yeah. in front of me, let alone, you know, give it a few days or weeks to sort of make its way around the office so actually just stopping to say before i go ahead and respond to the dirtied up version of what i think i heard <laughs> maybe i should just practice saying is this the thing you meant right yeah
1: That's exactly phenomenal. reflect that back i think um it's interesting because listening is that foundational skill right and so like you said we we like to think ahead and come up with our answers but we don't spend enough time sort of marinating in the space, <laughs> right? Or or, or, or um, uh, sort of appropriating that learning. Um, one advice I like to give to a lot of junior people is you can learn from every interaction or every product. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Um, a product person made that decision, or a CEO made that decision, or an engineer made that decision. Why? Um, or you had an interaction with somebody and you went, oh man, that was horrible. That's the worst conversation I ever had. Well, that can probably teach you something too, right? There's a conversation there um, that uh, uh, you can say, "Well, I'll never start by telling people that joke about my name anymore." That went horribly. <laughs> you know, there's there's always something you can learn from an in interaction. So, you know, I think beyond that that listening, the next piece is just you're always learning, right? What what can you learn from things that are already there and, and uh, all the interactions you have all day long?
0: What about resources? You alluded to it in your last response. Sort of stumbling upon the, the thought leaders. Are there any? thought leaders, authors, industry folks that you think are, they know what they're talking about.
1: Absolutely, every new product person, I always have them read Marty Kagan's Inspired, um, How to Make Products Customers Love. Um, I think that's a phenomenal uh, starting point. Um, Moving from there, um, I usually get people on to Hooked um, I think probably a lot of these are already in your, 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 yeah, well, <laughs> your library. A couple of them, yeah. um, I also love uh, Basecamp or the 37signals. The, uh, yeah, um, Getting Real. Yeah. Uh, uh, their book is phenomenal um, because it talks about, it's funny because it it, it doesn't talk about, it's like a picture in a paragraph, right? And um, And their book is more about the startup experience, but that's very much the same as the product experience, right? Things will change, be flexible. Um all that stuff rings true, and then you know, beyond that, it's digging in right, digging into your market, digging into the pieces you have there, um and knowing what you can learn from everything. I was uh driving home the other day, and this guy cuts me off, which you know happens in l a occasionally <laughs> and you you kind of have a choice on how you react at that point, right? It's like, you motherfucker, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I'm going to run you down, this is horrible. Or the other thing is to think, you know, hey, that guy might be rushing home because his child needs to be rushed to the hospital, right? And so I bring it back to that because I think it's that nature, that, that mentality of learning is something you're not going to get from a book, but it's going to take you farther than almost anything else, right? Is learning that that whatever happens, I'm going to take that, there's a learning, and then I'm going to move to the next, the next thing I need to learn or the next challenge.
0: You know, I wrestled for a moment because that was so beautiful that I almost wanted to end on that note. But then I was like, <laughs> no, I'm going to ruin it by having the last oh, word. You always edit in post. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what you just described is, is another quintessential skill of being a product person, which is empathy. right? And that ability to see the world from somebody else's perspective even if that perspective is, as you describe, in the case of being cut off, you know, in direct conflict with what your needs and interests are. How can I see this differently?
1: That's exactly right. And that's again, I mean, to tie back to the diversity, like our product is used, our persona is female. 90% of our users are female only. And actually, I'm, I'm doing poorly on diversity because only 50% of my product managers are female. You know what I mean? If you think about it, we should be skewed the other way around. Um, It should be like 90% female product, 10% men, kind of mucking it up. Um, But um, when I tell a lot of our product managers when they go on their first customer visit, I tell them they're only there to empathize. Don't worry about anything else. Don't worry about customer testing. Don't worry about showing well. Don't worry about PowerPoint presentations. Just focus on empathy, right? Because if you can empathize, you can understand their struggle, you're going to go a lot farther. And it's the same thing going back to your idea of suck, right? The problem is we naturally lose that empathy. Our natural biases will always creep back in. Um, I have to constantly remind people in this office, like, hey, the problem you're trying to solve isn't your problem, right? right? It's Betsy's problem, or whatever the name of the persona is, right? What are the names of some of your personas? Here? <laughs> we have a lot of different names um, for some of our personas. Um, you probably have to walk around the walls, you'll see uh, them. Right. <laughs> you <go around. laughs> Mine is Betsy. That's Yours why. is Betsy. That's, that's why you use Betsy. But I mean, like, if you think about our space, um, you know, we work in a lot of HR professionals and these are women um, uh, usually older uh, you know 45 and older and in sometimes parts of the country where they don't even have internet at home right and so when you talk about these small startups that are just young men right um you're not going to be able to it's you're so worlds apart from the mom who's at home and probably doesn't even own a computer right she might have an ipad and she checks facebook and she has an iphone but her primary computer is at work right and so they, they, they have such a hard time getting to that point. Um, um, It's a, it's almost more of a limitation. And so if that helps, it's going to circle the conversation, right? It's about the diversity. It's about the learning mentality. It's about the empathy because you fundamentally, right? You have to listen, understand the problem and just solve the problem. That's it. That's all you do.
0: That's great. Nacho, thank you so much for making ADP Innovation Center our home for this episode (laughs) of the podcast for Just sharing so much of your insights from all of the years you've been doing it. We're we're greater for having had you here today.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks for having me anytime. Cool.
0: You're listening to 100PM, the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great resources for anybody looking to learn more about product management or starting a technology business. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. Join me here. We've got a new conversation every Tuesday. We'll see you next time.